Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Welcome to Local Church, the perfect place for imperfect people. I'm Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I want you to listen to this carefully, okay? Lean in. Merry Christmas. Come on, Merry Christmas. It's December. Oh my gosh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. The lights, the sights, the smells, the, 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 the holly jolly Christmas songs. I love this season. I love that we can celebrate Jesus this season and that pours into every other thing in our life. Anyone here love Christmas? Half the people here, I get it. And even the people who wooed and raised their hand, here's what I do know for a fact about Christmas. For a lot of people, Christmas is messy. It's, it's messy. Messy people, messy situations. I'm not a Grinch, I love Christmas, but I'm acutely aware that for a lot of people, this season is a mess. In fact, for me, a lot of holidays are messy for me. We just finished Thanksgiving, and I love Thanksgiving. And a holiday where we can give God thanks and eat food together. Come on, praise God. Some of you are like, football too? Football too, awesome. Whatever it may be for you. But I had anxiety leading up to Thanksgiving. Why? Because I was thinking about the mess that would be made. I have an, a, a compulsive behavior, a compulsive condition. Does anyone uh, ha- have a compulsive type of personality? Like, here's what it means for me. If there's a mess, I will focus on the mess, and I can't continue until the mess is cleaned up. If someone drops a crumb on the floor, I can't eat until that crumb is picked up. If the kids move the cushions on the couch around, I can't focus until they're in the same place again. And so I had all this anxiety leading up to Thanksgiving because I can control the cleanliness of my home, but now I'm having all these guests and their family and their friends, but but they don't all see the importance of cleanliness like I do. Not all of them agree that the best thing to do is to take off your shoes before you step into someone's house. Not because I'm Asian, because your feet are dirty, man. Come on, I'll give you socks. So not everyone agrees with that. And so I had all this anxiety. And some of you are like, Eric, you're crazy. You have a problem. Yes, I know. It's messy. And because I focus so much on the mess, I miss the message. That's what a lot of us do. We focus so much on the mess. And maybe for you, it's not the stuff on the floor. Maybe for you, it's the people in your life. It's your relationships. And maybe you didn't cause the mess in the relationship, but now it's Christmas season and you're confronted with the fact that things aren't good between us and you may come over and you miss the message because you're focused on the mess. Some of you are like, what mess? There's no mess. When all of us look at you and we're like, are you kidding me? Everything's a mess. Your life is a mess. Your children are a mess. Your finances, your habits are a mess. But you've grown so used to all the dysfunction and mess in your life that you you can't even begin to see what you could be in Christ, what transformation could occur in your life. So in this series, we're going to confront the mess. 
We're in this new teaching series as we lead up to Christmas called Christmas. And we're gonna talk about this mess and be set free from this mess and find freedom in this mess. And so today I've titled this first teaching, Don't Discount Desperation. It's a little bit Dr. Seuss, but there's some truth in there. Don't discount desperation. Why don't you turn to someone, tell them that. Say, don't discount desperation. For as long as I've been married, uh, Jessica and I, we've always participated around Christmas time in a gift exchange or a secret Santa type of thing. And I don't know what your Christmas traditions are, but if you don't know what that is, it's very simple. You either pick a name out of a hat or you get one given to you for a gift exchange or if it's a, if it's, you know, a secret Santa, you do that gift exchange, you, you buy a gift, but you know the, the people that are going to be there. And so when you come to that party or that gathering, you give the person the gift that you got for them. They didn't know that you bought it for them or there's all these gifts and, and you pick one of them, whatever it may be. Some of you, you're like, that, that's weak sauce. Some of you sinners, you like to play a different type of gift exchange called Dirty Santa. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys play Dirty Santa? That's a gift exchange, but then you steal gifts from other people. Th those are my favorite types of gift exchange where you can take like, oh, you thought you had that? No, it's mine now. But here's what I know. Without fail, whether it's a dirty Santa, gift exchange, whatever it may be, there's always one person at least, at least one person that didn't intentionally think about the gift that they were going to give or the person that was going to receive it. And without fail, at least one person will go and get the cheapest bottom bin discount good for nothing gift that nobody cares about. Right? Am I telling the truth? If you have someone in your family that is that person, point to them right now, shame them in the house of the Lord. Okay, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It's terrible, terrible, terrible. And then when you get that gift, if you've ever gotten that, that, that discounted bottom bin gift, you're like, oh, thank you. You have to lie, right? Great. I, I always wanted a Thanksgiving uh, turkey candle on Christmas. That's perfect. Oh, yeah. I... I I can't wait to watch this bottom bin discount DVD of Batman and Robin, the Joel Schumacher version, like the worst one. I just love terrible movies. And yeah, I think, I think my grandmother has a DVD player that I could borrow from her. Oh, and what's, you got me checkout aisle candy too. This is awesome. We have to lie about it. But here's the reality. We know, we know you got that at Walgreens five minutes before you came to the party. I know that for a fact. How do I know that? Because I was there too. <laughs> I'll admit, I have been that guy many times because my life is messy and I haven't prioritized what is most important. Oftentimes before these gift exchanges, I will go to Walgreens or CVS and buy whatever is discounted, whatever's in the checkout aisle. And I become that guy. Maybe you've experienced that guy. Maybe you've been that guy, but you've experienced the mess because of this desperation and discount. And when it's a $20 gift, it doesn't really matter much, right? But, but when it's something significant that leads you to desperation, then we find ourselves doing foolish things. We find ourselves acting dumb. We find ourselves doing foolish things that... that in our desperation that, that affect our finances, our family, our futures, instead of walking in the spirit and living by faith. 
So today, I, I want to talk about what it means to confront this mess. And I want to talk about how we shouldn't discount this desperation. See, there's a dichotomy when it comes to desperation. It doesn't have to lead us to do foolish things. Desperation can actually lead to development, can lead to transformation in our lives if we handle it the right way. And so the first big idea that I want you to understand, write this down in your notes, all my church family at home, it'll be on the screens. Everyone at Everglades Correctional, glad you're with us today. I want you to write this big idea down. When devotion to God proceeds desperation, when you are desperate and you are in a desperate situation and what comes after that is devotion to God, coming to his presence, when devotion to God proceeds desperation, it will always, say always, always lead to transformation. I want you to turn your Bibles, open up your apps to 2 Kings chapter 4. We read this in the beginning of the year in the context of stewardship. Today I want to teach upon it again, but this time coming from the perspective of desperation. And I want us to see this mess in this woman's life that turned into a miracle because of her desperation. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 1, it says this, Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. This woman, she was in a very messy and desperate situation. She had married a man who loved and feared God, but because he didn't know how to steward what God had entrusted to him, when he died, he left her in debt. And she's in a very desperate situation. She's fearing Losing everything. And a lot of people are like that in this country. Did you know that the number one cause of desperation, why we are desperate and we do dumb things and we do foolish things, the number one cause in this country of desperation is money. Do I have enough of it? Have I saved? Will I have enough for retirement? Or will all of my savings be spent on a medical bill because I'm sick? This is the situation this woman was in, except she lived in a time where there was no welfare or Medicare or Social Security. She was desperate, and she had nowhere to turn but God. Don't discount desperation. It can lead to development. It can lead to transformation. She was desperate enough to go to the right source. She knew where to go in her desperation. And if we could just understand that today, I wouldn't have to teach. If we could just understand, instead of going to all these different sources to, to find our sufficiency, to find satisfaction, if we would go to the right source, all of our needs would be met. All of our desires would be fulfilled. But too many of us, in our mess and in our desperation, we seek after other sources. And we're not enjoying our salvation. We're walking around mean mugging or pretending. Someone says, Merry Christmas. Like, Merry Christmas. But, but you have no joy. All the while, there is an untapped living water residing within you because of the Spirit of God, because you belong to Jesus. But yet so many of us, we turn to a different source. But not this widow. 
She was desperate and she went to the right source. And God changed everything. He turned her situation around. Now I want to stop right there and I want you to understand I'm not here to throw out religious platitudes or niceties. I understand. I understand that life is difficult at times. Right now, we're praying for several families here in this church family who, who are going through difficult seasons, difficult scenarios in their life. I'm not here to, to, to make us believe that everything is all right right now and all of us can smile even though everything may be falling apart. I understand that for every single person in this place, there will become at least one part of your life where you find yourself in a desperate situation. Maybe you've already experienced that. Maybe the company that you've given your life working at now is doing something different and they, they disband your position. Every single one of us will, will find ourselves in a desperate situation where our, our health will run dry, where our, our, our savings will be depleted, where we find that the problems of our neighbor's kids are now our kids' problems, or, or the doctor walks into the office with, with a concerned look on his face, or we get a call late at night with devastating news, or, or the church that you love, the church that you sweated over and served at, saying, we're moving in a different direction, and, and now, now you're heartbroken, you don't know what to do, you're in a difficult situation, but when all these difficult situations compile with each other, now you become desperate, what do we do in those situations? Where do we turn? Desperation often makes us do dumb things, act foolishly. But the difficulties in our lives don't always have to lead to that. Don't discount desperation. It can lead to transformation. It can lead to a whole new dimension of trust if we go to the right source. See, this woman, she was about to lose everything. She owed a debt that she could not pay. And according to the Jewish law, this debt collector was, was okay being at her door and demanding that she pay. According to the Jewish law, and we've experienced this, if you've ever had the debt collector call you, I'm not talking about, hey, we want to we wanna call you about your car's extended warranty. No, I'm talking about people who knock on your door and say, you owe us, you got to pay, you got to pay this medical bill, we're going to ruin your credit, we're going to come after your car. They had the right to do that according to the Jewish law. And this, this debt collector showed no mercy. He wanted this debt to be paid that he was willing to sell her children to slavery so this debt could be paid. She was desperate with seemingly no way out. But what did she do? The Bible tells us she cried out. Here's the next big idea I want you to understand. It's okay to cry out. Turn to someone, tell them that. Turn to the dads who never drop a tear. It's okay to cry out. We can't control what happens in the world, but we can control how we respond. And I want you to know that it's okay to cry out. Crying out is a characteristic of desperation, but it's also a characteristic of devotion. Devotion. 
Crying out to God is a form of worship. We see in the book of Psalms, a lot of these songwriters crying out to God. I have enemies from every single side. I feel like I'm distant from you. I I don't know what to do. And they're crying out to God in desperation, worshiping him, knowing that he is the only source. It's okay to cry out. Some of you, you need to start there today to cry out to God. Maybe you're desperate because you're in debt over your heads. God knows, God cares. Cry out to him. God, I've made a mess. I've made terrible decisions and I need your help. Maybe for you, it's not financial. Maybe for you, you are spiritually bankrupt. It feels like your relationship with God is shallow. Your worship is hollow. It feels like you've created distance between you and God for something you've done or something you've failed to do. You gotta start being honest and start crying out, God. I don't like where I'm at. I don't like what I've done. I don't like this distance I've caused. I need you. I need your help. It's okay to cry out. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's relationally. Your marriage is a mess. Your children, they're, they're, they've turned into little terrors and, and you don't have the friendships and the relationships that you were hoping for. This woman, she was desperate, but she knew where to turn. She cried out to the prophet Elisha, and in doing so, she was turning to God for help. So verse two, it said, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in your house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. He didn't offer her financial counseling, which some of us desperately need. He just simply asked her, tell me what you have in your house. What do you have in your hand right now? What's in your home right now? And God was about to turn this woman's situation around because she was desperate and vulnerable to be honest with what she had and where she was at. I don't have much. I need your help. You're my only hope. All I have is a little bit of oil. And that's important because oftentimes in the Bible, oil is representative of the spirit of God. And just like back then today, the spirit of God is is seeking whom he can fill. And we talked about this. We just finished an entire five-week series talking about our relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus sends this gift, this helper who will be with us and in us and live through us so we can be powerful witnesses. He sends this helper in Acts chapter 2. And every believer from that point on is filled with the Spirit of God from the moment they surrender their life. But then in Ephesians chapter 5, again, we talked about this, about being filled and about being spilled and poured over with. This baptism and this constant infilling in Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible says it's our responsibility to walk in the Spirit. It's our responsibility to continually be filled with the Spirit. And so if our vessel is not filled with oil, the problem is not God's. The problem is ours. The problem isn't his provision. The problem is is our lack of desperation. We're trying to live on our own strength. We're trying to live on our own power. We're living with pride. But not this woman. She was desperate. She cried out to God. And she understood that when we see God as our 
only source. That's when we see him and experience him as our total supply. Did you hear that? When we trust God as our only source, there's nowhere else I could turn, ever. You hold everything in your hands. You're my only source. That's when we experience his provision as our total supply. She said in verse two, your servant has nothing in this house except a jar of oil. And that word jar is very interesting. I don't want you to think of a big potted plant. I don't want you to think of, of, of you know, like something that you, you put pasta sauce in for, for the family. This was a very small flask. This was something that was like carry-on luggage. It could only house enough oil to anoint a single person. That's not a whole lot of oil, is it? That's a little bit of oil. But to God, it's more than enough. How many know that? What you have that God has given you is already enough. And this oil, she had this jar of oil. And oil in the Old Testament, this Hebrew community, it was a very expensive commodity. It had several uses. Oil was used in that time to light up a home. You would put oil in, in a lantern so that your house could have light in it. The Bible talks about many times, including in Leviticus, that, that oil oftentimes was used to rub on to heal people's wounds. Obviously, oil is used today like it was back then to flavor food, to give a, a fattier content so things taste a little bit more delicious. But then we see all throughout the word of God that, that oil was used to anoint pastors and priests and kings to walk in the authority of God. Here's the message in this mess. The Spirit of God is looking for vessels that he can fill. And when he finds vessels who are willing to empty themselves out, to be filled with him, he uses us to be a light in the dark places. He uses our words and our actions to bring soothing and healing to hurting people. He uses us to flavor this bland world. Come on, church. We should party the hardest because we got the victory in Jesus. We know where tomorrow is going to be and where eternity we're going to land. And he uses us and anoints us and empowers us with authority to stand boldly and to proclaim the good news of Jesus, the King of Kings. The Holy Spirit is, is looking for vessels that he can continually fill, but, but you need to understand this. Before he fills, the vessels need to be empty. He's looking who he can spill into and pour into and fill up. But first, those vessels need to be empty. Second Kings 4.3. Then he said, the prophet Elisha, speaking on behalf of God, he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Empty vessels. They need to be empty and not too few. Notice Elisha didn't say go out and 
get full vessels. A lot of us, especially the men in here, when women tell us their problems, we just want to fix it. We haven't learned that sometimes just being present, most times, that's the best gift that we can give the women that we love. But, but myself, if, if I heard that, if I was in that situation, let me fix it, okay? Why don't you go to a few neighbors and tell them, the man of God is here. The prophet Elisha is here. Let me get a full vessel, please, and let him do with it what he wants. I would have said that, but there's another leadership lesson. Maybe you go out and you get a little bit from everybody. Many hands make light work. If all of us do our part, then no one will be in need. And because I think like that, because a lot of us think like that, we would have missed the miracle that God wanted to do in our life because we are focused on the method in which he used. I only have a little. It's not enough. And why do you want me to get empty vessels? Are we willing to do whatever? Go, borrow vessels from your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. And she didn't debate. She didn't discuss. She didn't deliberate. She simply obeyed. She obeyed what he asked. And she didn't obey halfway. She didn't say, okay, let me, let me put myself up. Let me ask them. I hate, hate asking for charity, but I'm going to go. And oh, they said no. And, oh, this one said yes. Okay, that's all that I need. One neighbor said yes. No, she knocked on every single door. She got every vessel she could find. You don't need this plant anymore. Get it out of here. Your kimchi is done, Korean Eric, okay? Serve it to people. I need your vase. And she got every single vessel she could because she believed that God was going to do something something significant out of her desperation because of her obedience. Verse four, this is important. Some of us will come up to this point and we'll cry out. And we'll do what God asks us, but we'll miss this. Verse four, then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And one is full, set it aside. Shut the door behind yourself. She didn't call up local 10 news. She didn't go on Instagram live. She didn't make a, a, t a series of TikToks. Hey, look, look what's happening. The prophet is here. He asked me to do all this. Do you see my obedience? No, she shut her door and she did it in private. I want you to understand that the key to experiencing the provision, the protection, the fullness of God, the key to that is getting alone with him. It's shutting the door and getting alone with him. Three times in this passage, you'll read that the door was shut. It was just her and her family and the word of God that was spoken over her. It doesn't matter if we're, if we're talking about Moses at the burning bush or Elijah underneath a tree or Jacob wrestling with God or even Jesus in Gethsemane. The key for the power that you need in the moment you are in is to find time to get alone with God. What she did, she did in privacy, not publicly. I want you to write this down. I need you to understand this. We can't be something in public that we aren't in private. You, you, you can show off. You can put the filters. You, you can buy the followers. You can make yourself look good. But we can't be something in public that we aren't in private. It will not last. 
If your life is messy, your leadership will be messy. If your family is messy, those who know you the best, your friendships will be messy because it'll come out. If your money is messy, your ministry will be messy. I had to learn this the hard way. If your mind is messy, your influence will be messy. Listen, I don't care what you look like publicly. I don't care if you come into this place and, hey, brother, hey, sister, I love you. And you're like, oh, I'm crying. Oh, Jesus. If you aren't this way with God privately, it will fall apart. The facade will not last because we don't control anything but ourselves. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, come away and, and rest with me for a while. And the reason that so many of our lives are messy is because we don't take time to rest. We run after things. We, we schedule the parties. We put up the posts. We buy the gifts. We make the meals. But how often do we stop and close the door and get alone with God? And I'm not just talking about Christmas, especially Christmas, but altogether our entire lives. We're doing all of these things for all of these people, but how often do we shut the door and spend time alone with God? Instead, we live on our own power, which means we're powerless and we're filled with anxiety. All because we're not allowing the Spirit of God to fill us privately. Verse five, so she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, say that, say, she poured. As she poured, they brought the vessels to her. I love that. She didn't calculate. She didn't say, how much is in here? I have to, I have to divvy it up. They brought it. She poured out. She just emptied herself out. She emptied her pride out. She emptied her ideas about provision. She emptied out her need for control. I'm just emptying myself out. And as a brought vessel, she just poured herself out. And what happened from that was the Spirit of God poured into her life and filled her need in a way that could not have been accomplished in any other way. And here's what happened, verse six. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing, verse seven. She came and told the man of God, he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. God will meet your needs and then God will exceed your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You and your sons can live on the rest. I'm reminded of that little boy who gave his Lunchable to Jesus and then he got to take home something to feed everyone in his family for a very long time. God met every single one of her needs. God set her free. God paid her bills. God rescued her children from slavery and death. Why? Because of her obedience. Because she was willing to obey whatever. She obtained freedom for herself and freedom for her children. Not just her, but the next generation because of her obedience. I love you guys. Because I love you, I have to, I have to be honest. 
Some of us, we want freedom from this financial prison that we're in, but we have not obeyed God's economy of tithing what he's given to us. Now, I want to make this clear. We don't have to give God anything. He's given us everything. Giving is not a prerequisite for him to fill your life and to save you and to use you. But he says, do you trust me? Then tithe. And I'm reminded of what my mom taught me at a young age, that when I seek first the kingdom of God, all the things that I need, he adds. But so many of us, we want to be set free, but we haven't trusted and obeyed God's economy to give back to him. Some of us, we want to be set free from, from relational prisons that we're in. I need community. I need friends who won't stab me in the back, but friends who will pray for me, who will lift me up, who will encourage me, who will fight for me. But we haven't obeyed God when he said, well, get connected. You're waiting for someone to come to you. I put them around you. Look around. Take initiative and say, hey, I want to get connected. But we failed to obey that. And now we're setting an example for the next generation and our children that church isn't a priority. Some of us, we, we want to be set free from the addictions or the behaviors that we've been living in, but we haven't obeyed God's command to be honest, be open, seek help. Instead, we've been operating on our own pride, saying, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody. I've got this. But this woman... She knew where to turn to. She cried out to God. She obeyed what he said. And because of her obedience, she experienced this provision, this freedom, this blessing. And she poured out all that she had. Now, I want to go back to this real quick because I don't want us to overlook, I think, a key point here. 2 Kings 4, 6. And I believe this is for some people today. I believe some of you here, you need to hear this. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there's not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. When she stopped pouring into something, the provision stopped. Now, I'm not saying that we have to do something for God to take care of us. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what I believe the Spirit wants to speak to, to some of us today. Some of our lives have, have gotten so messy that we've stopped pouring. We've stopped pouring into something. We've stopped loving the way that we used to. We stopped serving and giving and connecting and participating the way that we used to. We stopped pouring out. And we wonder, why, why don't I have this joy because you're not being a part of what God has asked you to do. Some of you, e even more devastating, you have everything you need. You're not in a desperate situation, but yet you've stopped pouring out. You're saying, I don't need this anymore. I prayed and God met my needs. And so now I'm just going to continue to live like I always used to. But at some point, all of us are going to be in a desperate situation where you say, God, we need more. I need more of your grace. I need more of your favor. I need more of your love. I need more of your forgiveness. I need to experience that. And when we ask God for more, his response is going to be the same. Then pour yourself out. 
You want to experience more? Then pour yourself out. Serve in that opportunity. Meet that need. Love that person. Share that feed. Talk to your neighbor. Do something with what God has given you. Stop ceasing to pour from your life. Because the more we pour out, I found the, the less mess I get into. If I'm busy doing the Lord's work, I'm not busy doing the devil's work. I found that the more I give myself away, the more I get to be part of what God is doing that's bigger than me. And here we are at the end of 2021, and we've experienced such incredible ministry this year. And can I tell you, God isn't done yet. We still got four more weeks for God to do the impossible. And this Christmas, we're, we're going to celebrate new life. We're going to celebrate eternities transformed. This Friday, we're, we're going to bring together 2,500 gifts and wrap them up so we can give them to children in this community who may not have otherwise received some for Christmas in the name of Jesus. I believe the best is still before us. It's about gifts and giving. That's what Christmas is about. But, but don't miss the reason, the message of this season. It's not about the gifts we give to other people. It's not about the gifts we get for ourselves. It's about the gift of God with us, Emmanuel. It's about giving that gift that transforms someone's forever, giving that away. But, but if we're honest... So many of us, we focus more on the gifts we can get or the gifts we're going to give to other people. And if we are intentional, maybe we give to Jesus what's left over. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.